Connection. Today it's Kylie and Molly, and we're here today with Alex McCracken from McCracken Mama over on Instagram. We're really excited to start incorporating different people's homesteading stories and journeys here on the podcast. And Alex has been kind enough to agree to come on as one of our first people to talk about her homestead. We were able to talk with Megan from Pinafore on Pinewood a while back about her homestead and her homesteading journey. And that was a super fun and interesting podcast. She has a great story. So if you haven't listened to that episode, I'll link it in the description below for you guys to listen after this one. But today we're excited to talk about Alex and her homestead and her homesteading journey. I genuinely don't even know the story. Like I haven't heard heard it at all. I know that you live in Tennessee, which is a state that I would love to live in. But and I've like seen your homestead on Instagram, but I don't really know like how you got started. I don't think you were born into the homesteading thing it's been more like a transition into the whole lifestyle Mm -hmm. that's true yeah so i was not born in farming at all my parents my owned a hardware store locally grew up in a hardware store never had a farm animal the closest i ever had was a mouse literally (laughs) um but i met my husband well at that point my boyfriend when i was 14 years old I'm now 32 years old. He was my high school sweetheart, first boyfriend, ended up marrying him. And he, however, grew up with farm animals and not, he will never say that he's a farmer. He always jokes around that he's a rancher, that Mm. he doesn't grow crops. So therefore he's not a farmer, Mm. but I identify as a homesteader and a farmer. So I've heard that before where people are like, farmers are crops. We have livestock. So then you're like a cattle rancher or a horse, like depending on what type of livestock you have. Exactly. But yeah, we ended up originally when we first met, we started with horses. So he raised uh, Tennessee walking horses. We had a broodmare operation, did that for several years and the horse market fell through. Mm. So we got out of that immediately went into goats and sheep and cattle stayed in that for a little while. And then we got married. Let's see. I went to college and did my graduate degree. We got married the week after my graduate degree was awarded. And then we went on a honeymoon to Montana fell in love with the area and ended up moving there um, a couple of years a couple of years later at that point we lived there for about six to nine months we did a like a winter rotation there in oh. billings and yeah and then moved back to tennessee because of some family medical issues we ended up having to move back so been here ever since once we got back to tennessee we bought land started building a house, mm-hmm. did the whole process again, ended up buying sheep and goats. Um, and we lived on that homestead for five years. So we had both of my children there and we raised meat rabbits. We raised sheep. We only ever did meat sheep though. We only did those for processing. We never did wool sheep. So all of our sheep are hair sheep. And then we do raise meat goats and we kind of continued that along and we were on 30 acres maxed out that property to its best of its ability and when the house market was booming we sold our place sure and so since then we did purchase 100 acres so that's what we're presently on and that's what we're presently farming and homesteading and doing all the things there so i wasn't born in it but i found it really stinking soon and i've been in it for over half my life (laughs) do your in-laws still raise like cattle or like sheep and goats and stuff too so my in-laws raise exclusively beef cattle. So they do oh. grass-fed, grass-finished beef. Theirs is McCracken Cattle Company. They are based here in Northeast Tennessee. They sell at a local farmer's market here and provide cut beef. So they do run on their property, which is where we currently live while we're building our house. Um, they have, oh goodness, probably like 60 head of cattle. They do a cow-calf operation, cool. um, but they raise the calves, then butcher those and then sell the meat accordingly. But yeah, they do still do that. They've never really done sheep or goats. That's been more our thing just because with children cattle have a tendency to hurt people sometimes yeah. you have to have a proper working system and kids can't really get in there and wrestle around with them but a baby sheep they can wrestle around with that pretty easily and not get hurt at the end of the day and it's kind of fun oh my gosh that would be so awesome what kind of goats are they boer goats that you have um so we have a mixture of everything so with um meat goats it's they're kind of just mutts. Um, we do what's best for meat production. We don't really focus on, we raise a couple. We only have them roughly around like 20 goats right now. Um, 
and they truly are a little bit of everything. We don't really do well with boar goats in our area because we have a high parasite load in Northeast Tennessee because it is so hot and humid. And the boar goats do have a tendency to get really, really sickly and wormy. So we basically strive towards like parasite resistance. So all of our flock if we have to worm them more than twice a year, we call them. So we are slowly working our sheep and our goats into this like very parasite resistant genetic um, factors. So cool. we keep back the ones that we don't have to worm. We keep the ones we'd never keep any that have had singles unless it's their first time lambing, then we'll keep those. Um, but we work towards if they have doubles or triples, if they have twins or triplets, we'll keep the use from those and then kind of breed back into that. Same for the nanny goats. And my son has like three nanny goats and all of our goats are not friendly at all. <laughs> so we have Bob, Bob Jr. and Red, and those are all three nanny goats. Bob is indeed a girl. So, but he could not, I, he's never touched Bob in her entire life or Bob Jr. for that matter, but we keep them for him. He likes them for some reason. He enjoys you know, telling people that he has goats. So that's so cute. <laughs> but that's like the perk of homesteading because um, when you do more of like conventional farming or big factory farm operations, whether mm -hmm. it's like beef or dairy, you don't end up having that personal relationship. It's still very much like factory, like mindset, like production mindset. And um, there was someone who I grew up with uh, on and off kind of over the years. They actually lived in Wisconsin, but they were from a like dairy operation. Mm -hmm. And it was a big, like big dairy conventional like operation. And they've gotten away from that because they just, even raising all the cows, they felt super distanced from what they were even doing and my yeah. husband grew up in the country with cattle farmers and dairy farmers and stuff and he's like these kids that I'd go to school with couldn't even take milk from their own bulk tanks to like have in their own homes because of everything having to be regulated so specifically for wherever mm -hmm. they were selling off their bulk to yeah. that's the best part about homesteading yeah, having kids on it is it makes a world of a difference. Like with our kids, like I where I didn't grow up in this, it's one of those things where like I never got to experience like walking outside to a to a chicken and getting an egg and bringing it inside and cooking it. Like the whole ability to follow your food. Mm -hmm. I never had that. Like my eggs came from the store. And to this day, my parents still will not eat like our farm fresh eggs. My dad's like, nope, I, I don't. He's like, I like my store-bought eggs. That's fine. And we have an excessive quantity of chickens and an excessive quantity of eggs. So my kids can just walk outside. They can find a chicken. They can pick it up. They know what eggs come, where they come from and how they're made. And it's just so fascinating to see like kids can just they thrive in this environment mm -hmm. and where I didn't have that and being able to like incorporate that every day, I see how lucky they are. Whereas my husband, he always grew up with that. So he's just like, yeah, that's totally normal. Like, yeah. And I'm like, no, 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 no. You have no idea. There's so many kids out there that have no idea where their food comes from. Mm -hmm. No idea that there's wool sheep and hair sheep and meat. Like we have mm -hmm. multiple different varieties. Like sheep are not just white and fluffy. <laughs> And they don't, and they have tails, which is like boggling for people. Um, so she like have very, tails? very long tails. Yeah. And I they were like, that. oh, that's a goat. Yeah. So most tails. So the reason why most people think that tails are docked for sheep is because with wool sheep, it's always bred. Um, so they're constantly shearing them. So they will dock their tails so that there's less likely a chance that the wool will cover things that they would need access to <laughs> for the breeding that operations. Is so, so interesting. They'll, so they'll do their eyes and they'll do their butts. They'll shear those um, for breeding season so that they can see and so that they can get the rest of the job done. Oh but yeah, sheep have long tails, like relatively long tails. <laughs> they do. And That's see, so they cool. get ours where they don't have wool, they are constantly mistaken for goats. People are like, wow, you got a lot of goats over there. And we're like, yeah, it's only about 20. And then they're just like, there's, like a hundred over there. And I'm like, oh, those are sheep. <laughs> they just don't have wool. They're not fuzzy. They don't look like Bo Peep's little classic sheep. They're, so we're starting goats at our place with two. So like it's yeah. a whole different type of energy over here. It but, is, but it's fantastic. And it's going to be so fun. But I'm on a couple different Facebook groups for like in Illinois for buying and selling mm -hmm. or just holistically raising goats and sheep. And it took me a minute to even recognize that there were like the difference between between some of these sheep and goats because the similarities yep. are really very striking when you're talking about the breeds of sheep that aren't mm -hmm. exactly like Bo Peep or the, you know, yep. Bo Peep's sheep. Yeah, because some of them will have horns and they'll have like classic goat horns. And then we have like four different sheep right now that have like a little bit of a horn to them. And I, even to this day, will somewhat get them confused during the summer months that they're sometimes 
goats because uh, we're just used to seeing like, okay, well, it doesn't have wool. It's got horns. looks like a goat or a sh- no. So mm-hmm. it's obviously a, a goat, <laughs> but they come in multiple different varieties. So we raise Katahdin crosses. So they're a hair sheep okay. um, and we would, we uh, mix in Dorper. So we do get some colors, but when they're all normally they're white, mm-hmm. almost all of them are white. So they all look identical. Sure. Um, we have a lot of color in ours. So whenever you get your goats, you're going to have to let me know. <laughs> so I can see these lovely goats. In, uh, like in like a week, I think it's loosely like the middle of July. And so it's you know, exciting. It's part, addicting. So that's the problem. Once you start, you can't stop. <laughs> I was like, I told my husband, we're going to start with like two or three and then see mm-hmm. how it goes. And then maybe in the spring we'll add more. But my husband's like, in reality, we'll probably have 10 goats by October. <laughs> Oh, for sure. hundred percent. You can be like, this was too good of a deal to pass up. This one basically was given to me. I mean, what's her face? She needed a friend. She was getting left out from everybody else. So she needed a buddy. Yeah. You're going to have a full herd in a couple months for sure. At least he knows. (laughs) At least he knows that that's how it'll probably be. So yeah. Do you guys butcher your sheep and goats like on your property or do you outsource that? Yeah, so we have in the past. Um, so from USDA perspectives, we can we can process for our own or we can sell directly off the farm. But for USDA purposes, like selling to somebody, we do have a processor that we use. Um, and what we do is we typically charge like a live fee. So we charge it per weight for the sheep. And then we will send them to the processor and say, hey, this is your date that you need to process. We're going to process it. Um, they pay the processing fee. So it's a cut and wrap and a kill bill typically. Yep. And then they pick up their meat. And so that way they can tell them what cuts they want. They can tell them what cuts they don't want. Mm -hmm. They want the whole thing ground, whatever. Um, And that kind of uh, covers our assets because then we are not saying, hey, we we picked up this meat and if we give it to you, now you got sick. Well, that wasn't the case. You picked it up from the process yourself. So we're kind of hands off in that perspective. We just do the delivery. They pay us up front and then we go from there. That's the process I'm used to because we buy our pig and our beef locally. And that's pretty Mm -hmm. much the same process where we know that we're going to be getting beef from someone like either half or a quarter and we pay the farm and then they send it to be butchered. And then when we pick up the meat, we pay the butcher for, you know, whatever the fees were associated with the butchering process. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Do you guys have a garden, like garden, can, preserve, any of that stuff? We do. We do. So I took a canning class last year with Desiree, and that was the first time that I'd ever tried canning. Like I said, I did not grow up in a homesteading, farmsteading, any type of household that did things like that. Um, I joke around, even though I live in Northeast Tennessee, both of my parents are not from this area. So therefore, I did not grow up with like typical Southern cooking. Like my mom couldn't make a biscuit to save her life. (laughs) And I never had soup beans until I met my husband. Soup beans. We do have a garden, huh? Soup beans, soup beans, soup beans and cornbread. No, nope. girl, you've been you've been down in Tennessee enough to know what soup beans and cornbread. Is. I have no idea what you're talking. About. I have okay, no idea so, about this either. <laughs> okay, so pinto beans, but they're soup beans. They're um, oh, how do I describe this? They typically are made like with some type of lard, and it's like a pinto bean, and then you put people can put like uh, onions in it, or you could do anything really, but you take your cornbread and it's warm and you crumble it up over your soup beans and you mix it together and you eat soup beans and cornbread. I mean, <laughs> it's like it a staple good. in the South. Yeah. It's, it's really good. It's very filling. It's like a poor man's meal, which I feel like most of like good Southern dishes are like underlying, like we just didn't have money and this was something we grew and we had an excess of. So here's our poor man meal. Sure. <laughs> but yeah. So like I did not have any of that growing up. So my first garden was with my husband Mm. and when I met him and we have a garden presently on our hundred acres, uh, but where we don't live there, I'm going there once, twice a week max. So it is, I'm a master of weeds. Uh, That is my, instead of a master gardener, I'm growing weeds, a lot of weeds, and there are some produce in there as well, thankfully. Um, But it's a, it's a decent sized garden. I would assume it's like 60 feet by 40 feet. So it's a good chunk. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, it's a good chunk. Now, granted, how much am I utilizing of that space? Not all of it because we do or I do succession planting. So it's in small intervals. We I do small and that just helps my brain. Um, okay. So I go and I do my like four foot row of whatever. And then I don't do anything else for a while. And I go and process that mm-hmm. later. But yeah, we grow. Oh, goodness. What's in the garden right now? Um, I just planted rhubarb and some raspberry bushes because this is our first year on this farm. So we par- we purchased this 100 acres last year. Um, and that is our good shepherd's pasture is this farm um, that we purchased. So 
Good Shepherd's Pasture, it has um, rhubarb, it has now raspberries, um, some strawberries, zucchini, yellow squash. It's got a couple herbs down there. We got like rosemary and dill and things like that. Um, I just pulled the peas because they're kind of looking sad. We've got peppers and tomatoes and green beans, potatoes, like the classic stuff. Um, Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I did not grow um, very well successfully onions this Mm. year. Uh, It's just so hot and my soil um the the farm that we purchased it from it was a traditional farm so he plowed it each year he planted it each year he mowed it for hay every year so our soil in northeast tennessee is very very dense it's clay mm-hmm. with a side of shale and um having compacted it with traditional farming methods for so long for like oh. 30 years it's it's gonna take a while to get it and we just have it's our soil super depleted i tested it for nitrogen the other day and it had none Ooh. Like none. Yes, I couldn't figure out why my tomato plants were dying. And I was like, okay, you have everything you need. What do you what what more do you need? And I finally did a test and sure enough, if pH was great, everything was wonderful, except for the fact that there was absolutely not even a trace of nitrogen in the soil. And I was like, Oh, that's you you probably need that. (laughs) Yeah. I have a hard time growing onions where I'm at. I tried a couple years ago, but ours, our soil's very clay as well. And I didn't Mm -hmm. try last year because it was such a failure the year prior, but I moved my garden this year. So I'm in a new garden space this year and I did like a no-till style. And then I'm hoping to like let that area like naturally kind of soften just like we did a bunch mm-hmm. of like mulch on top and different like stuff to hopefully like amend the soil this year and then yeah. next year maybe it'll be a little bit more optimal i don't know if not if not it's no big deal i guess i yeah but i'd still like to grow garden uh, grow um onions in our garden i've never successfully yes. grown them and yeah. my husband's like, well, they're not that expensive. You should just buy them at the store. Same with potatoes. He's like, it seems more of a nuisance to buy potatoes than it is, or to grow potatoes than it is to buy them. And I don't mm-hmm. disagree, but it's still that whole concept of like, well, it's so easy to be connected to our food by growing yeah. potatoes and onions, because if you can do that successfully, they're not hard crops to grow. Mm-hmm. And then they're very prolific. Like you have just a bunch of them. So next yeah. year, that's like one of my well. big goals. Yeah, absolutely. Hmm. Alex, you had mentioned that uh, where your, your hundred acres is now called the good shepherd pasture. Is that like your, is that your homestead name or how did you come up with that? Cause I'm assuming there's some kind of a biblical reference. Is that true? There is. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So my husband, um, again, I didn't grow up in a homestead or type situation. Um, my family was also never very biblical when I was growing up. Like it was always present in my home, but it wasn't ever stressed. Like we didn't go to church or things like that. When I met my husband, that was a big proponent of his life. Um, so he got me really involved in his church at that point. And then having kids, man, it will make you realize that there has to be something bigger than just yourself and everybody around you because Mm -hmm. they are truly God's blessing on this earth. Like you are put here for that purpose. And I felt very purposeful with my kids. And when looking at our land, our land has this beautiful pasture, especially whenever we were on it, when the first time, and I remember telling my husband, like he, we have so much potential in the pasture in front of us. I was like, how, how are we going to like, how are we going to do this? Like, how are we going to farm or homestead or whatever you want to call this hundred acres of land? Like, how is that functional for us? And he said, well, we just need to be good shepherds. And cause like in him, yeah, like you shepherd the land, you shepherd, we have sheep. He uh-huh. always jokes around that his job is to be the shepherd of our flock. And that's his job. He protects them. We do have livestock guardian dogs that do a portion, but at the end of the day, it's us that's moving these sheep. Cause we do rotationally graze so he was like, yeah, we just need to be good shepherds of it. And I was like, oh, so just, you know, good shepherds pasture. <laughs> he That's was like, so, that awesome. work. so yeah, so it's more just like, there's so many shepherds in the Bible and, you know, that's kind of one of the key, I feel like jobs in the Bible, like employment is these shepherds and they're, they hold such a critical part. And I've always told my husband, if you don't identify as a farmer or a homestead, or what do you identify as? And he was like, well, I'm either a shepherd or a rancher. I don't know which. <laughs> and just the way that trickles down, because like, yeah, like the Lord being our shepherd, but then mm-hmm. him being you guys together, being the shepherds of your legitimate flock, but then yeah. also him being a shepherd of your home and you being a shepherd yeah. to your children. And just like exactly. that biblical imagery all the way through, not just for your homestead, but for your entire family is so yeah wonderful 
It's my favorite. It's like we had always tossed around farm names previously. Like he had always um, wanted to do one with his last name. And my in-laws already have um, our last name in their cattle operation. And so I was like, I don't want to get misconstrued. Like we are two separate entities. Um, And so we both very much so fell in love with Good Shepherd's Pasture. And we were like, this is it. This is our name. This is what we'll carry on. And we both agreed. We've moved a lot since we got married. We've moved a lot. We've lived in a lot, a lot of small places within this area. And we both agreed that like, this is it for a while. Like we're done. Moving with two kids was not a, a stress-free situation by any means. And so, and so we decided, nope, this is it. We're done for a while. So good shepherd's pasture. We're going to have, there's going to be a sign once we live down there and everything, but yeah, it is, it is, it's is a wonderful, it, it holds a lot of um, sentiment in my heart sure. for the name. That's so neat. And yeah, I would not like moving is hard. I well, I grew up in Minnesota and then relocated to Illinois. And I've been here now for over 12 years. But every time we kick around the idea of moving and you know, we talk about, oh, maybe moving to Tennessee yes. one day, if we, if we could pick another state in the whole country, Tennessee would be our first choice and stuff. But God like always closes that door. But mm-hmm. the idea of relocating again with kids, especially once you've set roots down is exhausting to think about. And mm-hmm. we're so close to family and friends here. And now that you guys are in Tennessee, you're so close to family and stuff too. It would just yeah. be hard to leave. Absolutely. Yeah. We couldn't do it without our family. Really. We could not yes. <laughs> they really watch our kids while we go and do stuff. Cause it's our kids don't, they, again, where they grow up in this, mm-hmm. there are moments where they're like, this isn't fun. <laughs> I don't want to go outside when it's 95 and water these sheep. Like it's not fun. Um, and so my, our family, they help a lot. They are definitely a huge proponent of our farm. That's awesome. Can you tell us a little bit about your livestock guardian dogs that you use? I know that yeah. they didn't seem yeah, to be course. as popular, but I feel like they really gained a lot of popularity over the last year or two or three, I don't know, but like very recently, the concept of livestock guardian dogs seems to be really booming within the homesteading space. And we have a great Pyrenees that we adopted um, earlier this spring that's slowly taking on the role of livestock guardian dog with some time and energy. But I know you guys use them on like a pretty big scale basis, right? Yeah, absolutely. So we have um, a brother and a sister um, that my husband found from one of another farm locally. Um, so we have, and my children name these, so we have Mamacita and we have Tiger. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah, so I always joking, yes, I always jokingly call any animal. I'm like, and she had puppies. And so I'm like, well, you're a mama now. So, and he, my children not speak Spanish. They are not of Spanish descent or anything <laughs> like that. I love the word Mamacita um, from the song. And so they called her Mamacita and then they kept calling the brother Papa. And I was like, nope, that's, we're crossing boundaries there, baby boy. Like we got to call him something else. So we have Tiger. Um, they are a little, they're coming up on two years old now. Cool. And they are critical for a homestead. So we have, it's where we have such a large flock and when we do rotationally graze them, we have um, electric netting. And basically each day or every other day we go and we set out a new square pasture of netting and we have to move the dogs and the sheep over there. We just open up the gap and they come through. Mm -hmm. Um, But these dogs have to know, like they're very bonded with our sheep. They clean up the lambs after they're born. They'll clean up the mothers after they've done the birthing process. Um, They're very protective. They'll growl at, like if we come up on them, they'll growl at us. Sometimes they'll snarl their teeth, but that's what they're supposed to do. Those are their things to protect. And it's very interesting how they do this. So we have, where we have two, one stays up during the day, one stays up at night. So the female, she's up all day long. She's constantly monitoring the pasture. She's constantly walking the fence line. She checks everything and they patrol a good bit of land. I know Kylie, we talked about this before. Mm So livestock guardian dogs in general, they typically will patrol around 20 to 25 acres if you just let them free range it. Um, So where we have ours very compact, she gets a couple quick laps in and she comes and sits back down. But the male, he sleeps all day. He's just mm-hmm. asleep. All he looks like a lazy bum, but his job is at night. He has a hard job. He has to be up at night all night long in the pitch black, barking and carrying on and walking the fence to make sure nothing's trying to get in. And since we've had them, we have not lost a single sheep to anything predator wise. Um, 
obviously we, we have animals, so we're going to lose some at some point in time. But as far as predator loss, we've had none. We've been immensely blessed with these two dogs because just because you have the breed doesn't mean that they're going to guard. Uh, yeah. They have to bond with that animal and that livestock breed. So in the past, we've had some, they love pigs. In the past, we've had some, they love chickens. You have to find the right match. And we were really, really blessed to find these two. So they are, they're wonderful. They're so funny their hoots they act like puppies as soon as we show up and then they're like go about their business and get on guard and think they're big and bad and anything that comes in that field is fair game they've killed birds rabbits skunks snakes rats we anything had, we had ours bring us a possum the other day well it's been over a oh, week now nice. i guess but she is um sleeps sleeps all day basically yep. and then is up all night long and yeah laps the perimeter a couple of times mm -hmm. and then she laps we have our um meat birds outside right now like in their chicken tractor so she's like laps around the meat birds and laps around the barn where the laying hens are and then laps the perimeter again and yeah we've had a dead possum a dead rabbit Yep. Just she's just bringing you her whatever. goodies. Yeah. She's like, look what I did. They're so <laughs> intelligent, though. We also mm -hmm. have a lab. And not to say our lab is not intelligent and we don't <laughs> love him because we do. But you can just, like, the level of intelligence and acuity that the Great Pyrenees has is mm -hmm. remarkable. So are yeah. yours Great Pyrenees yeah. or what are they? They are. They are full-blooded Great Pyrenees. However, we um, they're kind of the female. She's on the smaller side. So the male, he looks like a classic Great Pyrenees. He's really big, really big, fluffy man. Um, but our female, she uh, is a little bit on the smaller side, but she's, she's still pretty precious. But yeah, they're both. We've had really good luck with Great Pyrenees in general in this area. Um, the only issue we have is where it's so hot. Sure. They sometimes get a little too hot. When that happens, they literally just lay down in the water trough. <laughs> that's, we have a little mini swimming pool out front of our house right now. One for the kids, yeah. but then also the <laughs> Maisie, our Great Pyrenees, has also adopted yeah. it. So it's just staying out there. Which is yeah, fine. absolutely. This might be a little naive, but I'm just curious. I live in town, so I do not have a livestock guardian dog for our chickens or anything at all. But I know sure. that you said that it is important that they bond with the animal that you have or your flock that you have. Do you have to do any other training or anything like that for them to be guardian or is this all instinctual? Yeah. A lot of it is pure instinct on their part. Like that's what the breed was bred for. So if you do find one, now I always tell people the same thing. Do not get a dog that lives inside and was born inside and raised inside and was around a bunch of other kids and they're loving on that puppy. Don't take that puppy and put it with your chickens and expect it to guard. It's not going to. Um, you need to be kind of selective about where that puppy's coming from. And it's also really, really, really hard to get one as a puppy and try to raise them with only like, especially ones that they have a natural prey drive. Um, so like if you're going to do it, put them with goats. Goats will typically stick up for themselves. They're going to headbutt. But there's no real training on our part that we do for this. We always buy in pairs. That way, if they want to play, they can play with their buddy. They don't need to play with the chickens. They don't need to play with the lambs. Mm. They don't need to do anything like that. You need to stay away from that. The other critical thing, and this is where the training comes in older dogs. That's what's worked really well for us in the past. We will always have, where we were starting a new farm, we had sold everything. So we were starting from scratch. Um, so we chose two dogs from a farm where he literally was completely hands-off. His dog stayed with the other dogs until he either sold them or they were old enough. And then from a breeding standard, he would like sell, move them away. Um, but the older dogs are what trains them. So they stay with their mom, their dad, their brothers, whatever. Those are what trains those puppies typically. Now, when you take them out of that, they've lost that. So they need to be bonded with the animal. So whenever they are little, you do put them with whatever the animal is. But when they're little, you got to watch them. They naturally want to play. They're puppies. They're going to start chewing on things. They're going to bite on things. And they don't understand. And when that chicken squawks and flaps, and then it's like, oh, that's really fun. I should do that again. And they'll continue to do it. So if you are, if any, if I always, if someone's looking for a recommendation, whenever you buy a livestock guardian dog one if you can get two of them much better than one and then the other thing i would say is if you can either buy one that's already an adult that way if you do buy an additional one later you could always have that one to be the trainer um, because that's that's what they train off of is just watching other ones um, whenever we've stuck new puppies in with our female if they chase her lambs if they do anything to her goats you bet your bottom dollar she's gonna grab that dog by the back of its neck and hold it down and she will bark at it they have that pecking order in place and she will put that puppy in its place 
fast, even if it's her own puppies. She doesn't care. That's awesome. That's so good to know. We do talk about getting a second one from time to time, but just thinking about how you incorporate that or whatever, or incorporate mm-hmm. another dog in is huge. That makes so much sense. Two yeah. dogs would be a lot of hair though. Oh yeah, girl, they shed like crazy. So yeah, much. great parents have that double coat. Mm, they're and they have double dew claws too, so they can require more of the bottom feet too. It's like double. They are not. Um, they have those like tumbleweeds. There's just like tumbleweeds of hair everywhere. Yeah. Just like little. Yeah, looks like a little tiny like Shih Tzu flowing through the air. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. My mother-in-law has brushed out our dog Maisie a handful of times and it's just like a trash bag full basically of of hair at the end. It's wild. Yeah. Our dogs just rub up and down our woven wire fencing and the hair will just be like attached to the fencing. That makes sense. (laughs) So tell us what's your favorite part about your farm and homesteading and this whole lifestyle? Uh, My favorite part Um, of our current homestead my favorite part of the actual physical place is probably the views really and truly. We have some amazing views on our property. It was one of those things. um, It's actually a kind of a God story. So this property that we're currently on is about five to 10 minutes from our last house. And when we first bought that last place before we, because we built a house on it as well, Mm -hmm. um, we drove past the farm that we currently have. It was for sale, but it was so expensive. It was lumped in with this huge, it was like 250 acres. And we, there was no way we were going to afford that. Um, and we both said, man, I wish, I really wish we could buy this place. Like, this is perfect. It just was like beautiful. And we drove by it for years and years and years. And then it went off the market one day and we were like, oh, it got bought. It got bought, um, sold out. And then when we sold our house and after we moved and with my in-laws, we started looking again. And sure enough, it didn't go off the market. The guy just decided that it hadn't sold for so long. So he removed it and started smelling it and selling it in smaller increments. Um, and so like, this is a place that we had prayed about for years. And then all of a sudden, now that we have the funds to be able to do it, it showed up. So those are views that I like yearned after for years and years and years. And so that's my biggest thing. It has this beautiful, um, like, I'm not going to say it's a mountain, but it's a mountain for Northeast Tennessee, (laughs) not the Rocky mountains, but it's got a little mountain peak that has a good view. Um, there's, it's relatively secluded. So it's just being able to sit out there and it's like nice and peaceful and quiet. Um, but my favorite thing about homesteading lifestyle is my kids truly, um, just seeing their joy behind something so simple or something so mediocre for us where we're like, Oh my gosh, it's so hot. We don't want to go out there and like get this water for these chickens. But then like my kids are like spraying each other with the water hose. And they're like, my son the other day was dancing for the chickens and they kept coming to him. And in my mind, I'm like, Oh yeah, it's because they think he has food. Well, my kids, like they just love my dance party. Like that's obviously why these chickens are getting close to me. (laughs) They love my dance moves. And though they're laying hens. So when you walk up to them, they squat down. Yeah that's what they do and my my son he's like oh my gosh they want me to pick them up they want me to be their friend and he's like so excited and he like scoops them up and he's like look it loves me and i'm like yes it does honey and in my mind those are just like small little like things and for him they're just so amazing like just so enthralling to see these chickens do something so simple as squat down he's like that's my best friend and i'm like what's who is that? And he's like, I don't know, but they're my best friend. That's yeah, they so are, baby. Cute. So he just, he, my daughter, she's two mm-hmm. and she just is along for the ride 24 seven. She really doesn't have a clue what's going on, but she's just happy to be present and accounted for. And she just does whatever he does. So seeing like him hold her hand and like lead her down to the barn or to the chickens or to the sheep. And he's like, look, that's a baby. You have to be really quiet. And all the things that we've like, said to him over the years he's repeating to her now and just hearing him like we're like okay don't scare them those are you don't want them to get scared they'll run away you want them to stay with their moms because you know you would want to stay with your mommy if you were a baby and he's telling his little sister this and so like just that mindset i'm like okay i'm doing something right here like this is this is good (laughs) i'm doing something like shepherding mentality like you know taking care of his little chickens taking Mm -hmm. care of his little sister and like teaching her and stuff that that's so nice. It's so sweet. It is nice. Yeah. I feel like within the community there, well, and I shouldn't just say the homesteading community, but it's so nice to see such a huge emphasis placed on families. And that is a huge part of the homesteading community. It's not just the husband who's running the farm or the wife who's doing this. It's 
generally very family oriented and everybody has mm-hmm. their own role and everybody has their own place and kids are learning these very important like skills. It's such a young age. And yeah. I feel like that was a lot less common, you know, more recently, you know, I grew up in just suburban Minnesota and, you know, my mom taught us to cook and do laundry when we got to be a certain age, but my girls, you know, they like to help cook and do laundry and clean and stuff even right now at very young ages. And they've been doing that for a long time, but it's like that family mentality is just so, so nice. Yeah, absolutely. And for us, like both my husband and I have jobs outside of the home and we always said like before we ever had kids that we were always going to put our kids before our jobs. And again, blessings from above. I, the moment my son was born, like I was out on maternity leave and um, Kylie, you know this, I work weekends as a acute care speech therapist Mm -hmm. at our hospital. Mm -hmm. And the person that was working weekends, which is a three days a week job, she decided to take a step back from that position because her kids were getting older. They started having outdoor activities, you know, games, sports activities, events. And so she decided to stop doing the job. And um, they asked if I would be interested in it. And it just happened to coincide perfectly with my husband's schedule um, that I would work the days that he was at home. And then the days that I was at home were days that he was working. Yeah. So we were previously both working Monday through Friday. We were like, there's no way. How are we going to do this? Like, how can we accomplish this? Our kids are going to have to go to daycare. Like, we never wanted this. This was never what we had decided upon. And then this position comes out of nowhere. And I mean, she had done this position for like eight years. Like she had been in this for a long time. Mm -hmm. And then it happens that whenever I'm out maternity leave, I get offered a position working the exact three days that I needed with the exact hours that I needed. And so like we were given the opportunity to put, continue to put our kids first in our lives. And because family is so important to us, we, the three days that I'm at work, he's primary primary caregiver. He's the stay-at-home dad those times. He's taking the kids to the farm every single morning. He involves them in every aspect of his life. He's like, cool, we're going to go get eggs. You guys are both coming. Mm-hmm. We're going to go water the sheep. You guys are both coming. Oh, wait, chickens are out of feed. You guys are coming with us to the feed store. Like He involves them in every single aspect. And I never realized how thankful I was for that until I realized that that's just not how society does things for the most part. Oh, um, even with the mom working, yeah, even with the mom working, the dad doesn't typically become the default parent. Yeah. Um, he's just kind of like the secondary parent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, my husband truly does, like he cooks all their meals. He'll get them dressed. He gets them their baths. He, you know, he does everything that I would do. Now he may have some questions about like, hey, honey, what, what do I need to feed these kids? Sure. Like, is there something you're supposed to feed them? But he he acts in that primary caregiver role, and I will be eternally grateful for that because mm-hmm. I never realized that I, I needed that or I expected that from him <laughs> until we had kids. I think it's also really cool because your daughter and your son are having an incredible role model to look up to. So like when your daughter in 35 years, no, <laughs> in a few <laughs> years and she is ready, you know, to be looking for a life partner and a husband, she knows those qualities that like her dad instilled in her when she was two years old. He's, you know, caring for me, you know, this is what I want in a husband. Mm-hmm. And likewise, your son is then like, this is what a man of good faith yep. is. And that is Absolutely. so important. And I feel like we don't have that a lot in today's society. And I just mm-hmm. love that for your family. And I love that for the future generations of your family. It's so cool. Yeah. Absolutely. It's, it's truly a blessing. My son, he always jokes around. He, um, he loves cooking, uh, with me and he loves baking with me and he'll always say like, can I help you? Can I do this? Can I do that? And I'm always like, babe, you can do it. Anything. Like if you ever want to be involved in anything I'm doing, like all you have to do is ask. And now there's sometimes like you, maybe you can't and I'll, but I always explain to him why he can't do it. And he's, he's my literal kid. He's very analytical. He's very critical thinking and he'll think things through. He'll be like, Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. And he's fine with that. And he, doesn't see like these, okay, well, I, I can't do this because I'm a boy and boys are meant to do this, this way. Um, he doesn't see it that way. Cause I know like my family, we were never really raised like my, there's no good way of saying that. Like my, there are certain roles that my dad did and that never extended over into what my mother did. I and mean, there's certain things my mom did that never extended into what my dad did. Um, right. where there we're kind of meshing these two things together. Yep. They're still very much so like, these are, these are roles that a man does in your lives. These are biblical roles. This is what a man feels. These are biblical roles. This is what a woman feels. However, 
if that woman is unable to do these things, you need to be able to step up and do them with her. Because at the end of the day, this is your partnership. This is your, you're supposed to steward and be fellowship together. You are not two entities under God. You are entities combined in front of God. Like that's the whole premise of this is making partners, not necessarily just roommates. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Individuals with have, that have compatible roles and responsibilities. There's like an equal, like an equal, um, like being equally yoked, you know, yeah. the Bible talks about, you know, being yoked with your partner equally and stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, to be able to set that example and in a world where traditional role models yeah. are important right now and the exact opposite where the most important thing is to defy whatever the concept of traditional role models mm-hmm. used to be and reinforcing what a biblical role model is more important than enforcing what a traditional role model looks like and when it comes to like what the biblical role models look like it really is like being equally partnered with your spouse and like caring together and like caring for that family and shepherding you know your family just like you guys are doing in so many ways which is just really cool (laughs) there's such a concept or mentality that like we either have to be full-time stay-at-home moms or career women and there's Mm -hmm. very little room for any sort of intersection but you know you're talking about working full-time you know three days a week full-time as a speech language pathologist having this pretty like you know large-scale homestead i mean 100 acres is a lot and then your two kiddos how do you balance all of that and like you also are going to homeschool your kiddos too yeah yeah, yeah. My oldest is five. He's he's. We've been doing preschool homeschooling, so this August is our like full blown official yes. kindergarten stuff. Um, so yeah, I will never claim that I'm doing any of them perfectly. That's my biggest thing. I will never give you the the. At least I hope I never construe the mindset that I am being super successful at all these all the time because I'm not. Um, work is work. I go there. I do that the three days a week, and then I leave it. Um, that's one of my biggest things I do not carry over this. My work is a job that helps me pay my bills so that I can continue to spend time with my family. Work is an outlet for me. It's that, do I love it? Yes. There's a reason I went into the field that I'm in. I genuinely love the work that I do. I love the population that I work with. I love working with adults, especially those with dysphagia or the swallowing impairments and diagnosing them and helping them brings me joy, but my kids bring me more joy. Um, so I, I never do any of them great. I do well at all of them. However, there's different levels of well. <laughs> and sometimes in some weeks, it's that I'm doing really great with homeschooling and we're doing that four days a week and it's fantastic. And then my house is a wreck. Um, or I haven't been to the farm in a week and my husband's been going down there every day and he's been moving the sheep and he's been watering and he's been doing all those. And I've been working more at home or on my mother's harvest or things like that, because we do have so many different moving parts right now that it's hard to do any of them exceptionally. So my biggest record or word of advice, I guess, would be to give yourself grace fully. You're never going to be great at all of them. You're never going to be an A plus student in all of them. Mm -hmm. But I never had anybody have the current situation that I have. So I work full time. I do homestead. But I feel like I spend all my hours doing something that I love in some capacity. Um, I wake up the days that I'm here and I'm with my husband if he's off and we're doing the homesteading stuff. If he's not off, I'm doing homeschooling stuff. And it's definitely challenging, but it's worth it because those days that you see that things are actually clicking with your kid or you see like that success in your homestead or you go and you're at the garden, you've been working there and you're like, oh my gosh, why am I putting so much time and effort into something? I'm getting nothing out of it. I'm just growing a bunch of weeds. And then you're like, oh, look, there's 10 tomatoes or, oh, there's some potatoes that I just harvested. So you're like, it's just enough to keep you going. It's just enough to keep like, okay, I'm not doing this for like insanity. Um, But whenever I actually sit down and talk with people that are outside of a homesteading community, I realize how crazy I sound. Like I realize how insane I sound when I'm there like, so what do you do? Like, where are you guys, what are you doing for July 4th? Is literally, I got asked that all last week. And I was like, I mean, we're moving chickens. Like I don't have any great plans. We're gonna, I think we might have a cookout and we did. And it was super last minute, but it was like not planned. And people are like, yeah, we're gonna go to the lake this weekend. We're gonna have so much fun. And I'm like, 
yeah, no, I'm going to work this weekend. And then tomorrow, I think Monday, I'm going to the farm. And then we've got, you know, we've got a meeting after that. My husband and I are going to go and we're going to move the chickens and we've then got to go to the farm. We've got to move the sheep. I think we're going to get everything up and check it. And like, they're just looking at me like I'm insane. And I'm like, I actually enjoy that. I think I would probably prefer that over going to the lake really and truly not to knock the lake, not to knock Disney world, not to knock anything. Mm -hmm. We definitely take our family vacations and family trips, but like, I enjoy doing these things with my family. That's the point blank thing. If you do not enjoy it, you're not going to thrive in this. You're not going to, you're going to resent every step of it. (laughs) You're going to hate it. You you have to chickens a couple of times. Yeah. Can you tell us, and you don't have to like go into crazy detail if you don't want, but like you guys have a lot of chickens. Like do you like yeah, eggs? Yeah. yeah. So we have a good shepherd's pasture has, oh goodness, 190 current laying hens. <gasps> we have 130 that are going to be laying in about four or five weeks. They're more of like that. Like I'm old enough to be a chicken, but I don't have a purpose in life yet. I'm just going to eat your feed stage, but they're not at that. Like I'm an ugly chicken stage. So those are at our farm. The 190 are here with us where we live presently. We also have 150 broilers that we're going to process in about 10 weeks. We process those ourselves. Mm -hmm. And my husband is wanting to add to our laying flock this fall. So we will have most likely by December around 500 laying hens. Holy cow. (laughs) So when I say we move them, we like move them. That's why I wanted to ask about it because based on like Instagram – it, you, it's yeah. clear you guys have a substantial number of hens, but I didn't realize, yeah. didn't realize to what extent. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. So we sell at our farmer's market. I sell them at the hospital where I work, but basically we have this electric netting. It's the premier one netting. If you're a homesteader, you know what electric netting is if you've got animals. So it's just part of the territory. So we have, my husband built on a hay wagon. So just the frame of the wagon, he had a local welding shop put like um, iron grate along the bottom of it. And then he built up the sides and we basically put, it looks like a really, really rednecked or wagon train. (laughs) It's the only way I can describe it. Um, It's not pretty, but it is functional, which is also something you learn with homesteading. It's not, we're not going to have chandeliers in our chicken coops. I don't have like this cute little sign outside my coop. No, I have a giant black egg mobile that is very sufficient and all the poop falls to the ground. And I would prefer that over my chandelier and clean coop any day. Um, But it has eight large rollaway nesting boxes. It's got roosting bars on the other side. And basically we hook that up to a tractor and every, right now we're doing it every two days, we're moving them. So we have two rolls of the electric netting that we basically make into a square. The Eggmobile goes in the center and then we have like four or five, five gallon buckets of water. Um, they're kind of like an automatic water system that we leave outside. They go through, oh goodness, how much feed? Uh, they have five feeders that are, they hold, let's see, probably around 150 pounds of feed and we're filling them up every two days. So we're going through an excessive quantity of feed. Yeah, it's super fun, but it's non-GMO, no corn, no soy. So we have a very select group that we're selling Mm -hmm. and we, every two days we go out and every day we go out and collect eggs. We do that twice a day for the eggs and we go out twice a day to fill up their waters, especially when it's hot like this. And then every two days we, we build the next pasture. We get our tractor, we drive our giant egg mobile into the next track next pasture and then all the chickens just start following us into the next one and we get everybody moved over we break down the last side and then go to the next thing we just keep kind of hopping so the back one is where they were the middle is where we have them currently and then we take up the back fence put it in the front and then we just continue to move them up and around it's that's what we do with our sheep so we had a lot of years doing this with our sheep we did a rotational grazing we've done that for many 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 years and that's for our for our sheep we use around six um, of the rolls of netting. So it's a much larger pasture, obviously. But for our chickens, we we move them every two days. So they're pas- true, so true pasture raised. much work. <laughs> and so much food. <laughs> it is so much work, girl. It was so hot today. Yeah, so much food, so much work. Definitely rewarding. It's super fun. It's like an Easter egg hunt every day because they don't always use the nesting boxes or <laughs> like scrounging outside. Um, but yeah, it's a ton, a ton of work. It's very rewarding, but it is... It's very time consuming. Like I was sweating a lot this morning when we were moving them this morning. 
<laughs> so, what, what breeds of chickens do you guys have? We have a little bit of everything. So we look exclusively at sexed birds. So we do sex chicks, meaning we either do sex link chickens or we do um, barred rock. We have some barred rock hens, things like that. But we used some online hatcheries for our first for our first 200. Yeah, we had some bad luck with our online hatchery. We had up having to get a lot of things replaced. Then for the last run of chickens, the 120 that we have, it's actually 130, I think. What's the difference yeah, it's 120 when you're talking 120 versus Those are. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know, right? We're like, it's just like 300 chickens total minimum. Um, but they are a, a mixed up muddle mess. So we did that at our local co-op and they only bring in a maximum of like 25 of a particular breed. So we have Rhode Island Blue, which I didn't even know was a thing. Yeah, that was, they're real cute. They're like a gray chicken. And we've got black sex link there. We've got some barred rock hens. One of them is a rooster we found out the other day because he straight up doodled. He was like, cock-a-doodle-doo. I was like, that doesn't sound like a hen. Um, he was a surprise because I told Jason, I was like, Jason, did that thing just crow? And he was like, yep. I was kind of wondering if he was a rooster. He was a lot bigger. And I was like, yeah, no, he's he's going to be gonzies real soon. But we have golden comets was a breed that we found um i snuck in some easter eggers and some black copper morans (laughs) i was the one ordering i know i was super excited i i was the one ordering the chickens and i was like do you guys have black copper morans and they were like yeah we have six and i was like throw those in we'll just see if he notices he didn't until he realized that a couple had feathered legs and he was like why do those have feathered alex and i was like right because they're not a high production breed but they are (laughs) gorgeous no, they're not. <laughs> they're not. But they're super pretty and they make nice fluffy little chickens. So I have personal hens. So I have six personal hens that are still living. And they have they're not the best producers, but they're really stinking pretty. And that's yep, what it's about. I have two, <laughs> Isn't that the I truth? Have two salmon favorals. I don't even know how you say that. Yes. They're gorgeous. No, I have one living still. Gorgeous. And I specifically <laughs> yes. drove down to a hatchery two hours yeah. away to pick up two this spring oh, wow. because I wanted them. So I get the personal chickens. Yep. yep, I get it. Yeah. And I've got some light Brahmas. They're also really fabulous and lovely. I've got some lavender Orpingtons and some buff Orpingtons and then Easter Eggers or Americanas, whatever you want to call them. <laughs> Alex, you've mentioned a couple of times during the episode briefly about My Mother's Harvest, just when you've been talking about things you've been involved Mm -hmm. in. Can you tell us what that is? Yeah. So My Mother's Harvest is a collaboration that I will, we started a friend of mine that actually met in Desiree's canning class. Her name is Brittany. She's from New York. And basically we wanted to create a space where we could get kids into the kitchens with their parents, um, in particular with their mothers, because we loved including our kids in the kitchen with us. And we felt like we wanted to encourage other mothers to do the same. Um, We wanted it to have a very strong biblical Christian basis. So we founded My Mother's Harvest. My Mother's Harvest has a merchandise side to it. We do create shirts. We create other merchandise and books. Bible studies is what we have this month. Um, But the premise behind it is just to provide encouragement in a social media platform that doesn't necessarily always provide encouragement to moms. Um, In a society where it like heavily looks on, um, you know, you shouldn't your kids sometimes can be burdens um, or, you know, like the mommy wine culture, which it's fine. You do what you want. But for us, it just wasn't something that we were interested in. And we, a lot of times when we would log on to social media, we would see these moms and we would just never fit into the mold of what we felt like. We're like, okay, well, we're not like mm-hmm. that. So is something wrong with us? And then we met each other, realized that we both had very similar mindsets about how to raise children, the important things in children's lives and just, I have a very strong passion for agriculture and food and growing things holistically and in a regenerative platform. So my side mixed with hers, hers is a very much so loves fellowship, the Christian basis. She's a new homesteader herself. We got both of us together and my mother's harvest was born. We offer um, monthly or bi-monthly right now kids kitchens, which are a Zoom online cooking class basically um where it's pure chaos our kids run rampant we send out a recipe the week before and we're like hey guys this is what we're cooking log on if you want to join us and in that 
we attempt to lead that through. And it's either Brittany and I kind of take turns. It depends on who has the less amount of kids. That's who gets to do most of the talking. And basically we walk through the steps. We involve the kids in the measuring, the dumping, the mixing. And then it's always something that they can enjoy where they're all kid-based items. Um, so this past one that we did, we had some yogurt bark and we've done granola bars. We've done all kinds of cookies and cupcakes and things like that. And they, they, they're good. It's about a 45 to 45 minutes to an hour long class. Um, we never really say that we're teaching you anything, but we don't know what else to call it other than a class. And we let the kids all mingle. They talk to each other. They ask each other questions. They'll tell each other their favorite animals or colors. Or like when we, a lot of times we'll pose the questions and be like, Hey guys, what are you most excited about for your garden this year? And what do you like to eat? And it's so much fun to see these kids meeting other mm -hmm. kids in like-minded families because they don't always mix with the kids at their sure. school or they don't always mix with the kids that they're doing sports with. But these kids, these kids know what they're doing and where they're coming from. And when they're like, yeah, my favorite thing to eat out of the garden is a tomato. I love the little tomatoes. They're fresh. And then most kids at school will be like, well, my favorite thing is like an apple or it's an orange or it's chicken nuggets. And I really like McDonald's. And to be able to just be like, hey, I really like an apple and it's fresh and I go pick it off my tree and it's wonderful. Kids don't get that. So just building this community with these kids is what we started with. And we've just kind of fostered it into this motherhood journey as well. <laughs> and I'll just add in there, we've, my daughter and I have, well, my son too, but he is six months old. So he has no yeah. idea what's going on. <laughs> For my two-year-old daughter and I joined in, um, kids kitchen one time and it was so much fun and so now anytime I ask McKinley if she wants to go cook she's like with friends and yes. I'm like not this time maybe we'll do it again yeah yes so cool. um, one of the other members of the community her her child always asks when our next one is like every week she's like is it today is it today and she's like no and they actually made a countdown for the calendar for when the next kid's kitchen is <laughs> oh that's so sweet that just shows that you're doing something that is so powerful for the little minds like that's so cool yeah yeah we're both very very passionate about everything with this it just it brings us such joy it's something that we prayed about for both of us we both live in areas where we were both not from homesteading communities and homesteading lineage and generation. So we're like first time ones. And it just really reinforces that we're like on the right path. We asked for fellowship and it was provided. Well, and to, to further like build the homesteading community, I think is so nice and not just like the moms on Instagram, but I mean, that's mm -hmm. important too, but to have a way and an outlet to connect our children, because for me, I feel very alone in the way I want to raise my kids and in my parenting style and in the values that we're raising our family with. And so to be able to connect with other moms and other children and see, actually see and actually know that, no, I'm not alone or I'm not on an island by myself and have that fellowship of like-minded yes. moms with similar goals and like ideologies of how we want to raise our kids and values and you know is just mm -hmm. so encouraging um because it can be yeah. very lonely sometimes mm -hmm. and even just being in different seasons of life when you're when you have somebody that's a friend that you both have gardens you understand that there's certain times that may just be busier than others there's certain times where things maybe in that season, you know, in the middle of winter, that's when we do a lot of our hanging out with our friends. But in the middle of summer, we have a lot going on. So we might not be spending as much time yeah. with those people during that time. So just, I always, uh, one of my friends, she joked around that you can have unicorn friends. So you have three different types of friends. You have friends that have kids of the same age group. You have friends with mm -hmm. kids that have similar interests, or you have friends that are based on location. So if you have somebody that meets your kid's age, isn't close to you and has similar interests, that's your unicorn friends, because they're so hard to find that they're basically a unicorn. And I feel so like true. with my mother's harvest, we are all finding unicorns. They may not be locationally based, but they're readily accessible on you know the internet with zoom and because that's what this is it's just a zoom class so it doesn't matter where you're at what you're doing you can still hop on <laughs> hmm. we're really looking forward to so um the the ladies here in the homestead connection i've been talking with alex and Brittany, who have my mother's heart harvest about um collaborating for a kid's kitchen sometime in the month of august and mm -hmm. we're really looking forward to that i think it'll be so much fun to be able to connect and collaborate in that way it is going to be a blast 
Well, I hate to have to wind things down, but we probably should wrap things All good, up a girl. little bit. <laughs> Where can people find you online if they want to follow like with you and your homestead and my mother's harvest? Sure. Because I really love for people who are listening to be able to also find you on social media. Yeah, of course. So I am relatively very active on Instagram. That is at McCracken underscore mama. So it's M-C-C-R-A-C-K-E-N underscore mama. My farm page is on, uh, at Good Shepherd's Pasture. And then we also have at My Mother's Harvest. And they're all, those are all just one word together. But we are very active on Instagram, or I am very active on Instagram. That's what I have a preference for. <laughs> um, but those are our three methods. My Mother's Harvest, as far as merchandise goes, that's on www.mymothersharvest.com. And then for the kids' kitchens, all you do if someone's interested in signing up for that, you just send us a message on Instagram with either at my personal one or my mother's harvest is fine with your email address and we just send out the recipe the week before so we're very active on instagram (laughs) and i'm gonna have all of your like the handles and your my mother's harvest website linked in the description box of the podcast so that our listeners don't have to try to remember it they can just follow the links down there so just make it as easy as possible so Well, thank you for coming on and sharing so much with us. I am so happy that we were able to like have you on and learn more about you and your homestead. Me too. Thank you so much for having me on. This was very fun. (laughs) I hate that we have to close out the podcast, but make sure to connect with Alex on Instagram and we will see you next time.